We are continuing our series today on the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who empowers His church, the empowering life, empowering work of the Spirit of God. And I am going to be talking to you today about how the Holy Spirit empowers us for service, at least part one of what will be empowering for service. Before I get to the text that I'm going to teach from, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would. And this is feeding back a little bit or ringing. I know you got it dialed in. Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And I'm going to read this to you as a prayer. This is my heart, my desire today. This is what I've been praying all week, asking God for and believing God for today. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Father, I thank you today for the Word of God. Thank you for this time together. And that, Lord, is my desire, those words of Paul, that we might freely understand the things given us to us by God. Impart these things to us, Lord, not with human wisdom, but by the Spirit of God. And interpret to our hearts today spiritual truths. Lord, using spiritual language even to those who are spiritual. In Jesus' name, amen. Because I speak to you today as not just human beings, fleshly, carnal, but spiritual beings as well. And while we were worshiping and while we were praying this morning, I just was aware more and more how seldom we view ourselves as human beings who are spirit beings as well. Because we can't see that part of us. The Bible calls it a soul or the spirit life. And when Jesus Christ created man, when God was creating by the spirit of God and through the Son, he breathed into man life. And that life is unique because it is a capacity that gives us the ability to know a God who is spirit himself, unlike any other creature that God created. And I want to talk to you today about the working of the Spirit of God in the human life by His grace. And I'm going to teach today about what is commonly called gifts of the Spirit, but I'm going to change your thinking. That's my goal. And I'm going to have you rethink these truths, and I'm going to hopefully free you in areas where you've been unable to understand and maybe where you've been fearful, confused, and my goal is to enlarge us in our faith, in our capacity that we might be used of God. But I want to begin by reading four scriptures that apply to this truth today. If you could put them up for me. First is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. It says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, 
you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Notice the use of the word spiritual twice. Brothers and sisters, we are a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices, not just fleshly, carnal, not in a sinful sense carnal, sinful sense fleshly, human, not just in a human sense, but spiritually to offer sacrifices to God as a spiritual house. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Say that with me. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Say every joint. With which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's multicolored grace. And then Romans 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. I'm going to teach this morning out of 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there. I'm not going to read it. I'll read it as I go through it. But this morning, I want to speak to you. We're continuing this series on the Holy Spirit empowering, giving life, what this means to the church. We just have this great sense that God wants us as a people to be awakened to these truths. That for our church at this time, for this spiritual community at this time, God wants to awaken these things in us. Many of us have known much of this or all of this in the past. It's nothing that's new in some senses. But at the same time, life itself robs us of our spiritual vitality. We become dormant. Some of you have grown up in churches where you did not believe what I'm going to teach today at all. Some of you don't believe it today. Some of you have seen abuses of it. Some of you are not certain what you think of it anymore. All of those are real. All of those are, are, are very justified in some sense or another. Some of you have been taught against what I'm going to be t- teaching you today. Some of you have been taught the opposite of this. And that's okay too. Because you have to go to God yourself. And you have to decide yourself what you believe of these things. But I want to say to you that where we are today living in the 21st century, in the world that we're living in, and the calling that is upon the church of Jesus Christ in our day, we cannot live apart from the power and the life of God being at work through us. We cannot just live as, 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 as church people with, uh, with, with just natural talent and natural ability and natural understanding and human energy 
and think that we are going to somehow accomplish what God wants done on the earth in our day. It's not going to suffice. It does not suffice. And so there's something in the heart of God where I believe he wants to awaken in the church at large, not just this church, but the church at large, these realities and these truths, and breathe on the church by his Spirit and impart anew, maybe for the first time for many of us, or maybe not for the first time for many of us, the things of the Spirit that we might be used by God in ways beyond what we've even hoped and thought and imagined. I'm going to answer three questions. I'm going to ask them and answer them today. The first is this. What are, quote-unquote, spiritual gifts? What are they? And maybe in, in this, why are they important as well? But secondly, I want to ask this question and answer, why do we not see more expressions of this grace today at work through the church. And let's be honest. Let's be brutally honest and not pretend. We are not seeing much of the things of the Spirit, at least in what we think how we should see it. But I'm going to help you see as well that sometimes it's happening, we just don't see it. And the third question is this. What can I do, if anything? And the answer is, yes, there is something. What can I do to grow as a vessel for God's grace? So first of all, this first question, what are spiritual gifts? And I want to begin by maybe saying that it's easier to say what they aren't. First, I want to do is I want to change your thinking completely around the word gift. And I want to tell you that the word gift is a very unfortunate word that is being used by the church because of a translation from the Greek of the Greek word charisma that really is the root of it being charis, which is grace. And I'll break this down for you more in a moment. Where the word gift itself is not even in the word. It's an implied understanding based on theology. Let's look at Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, and I want to show you exactly what I mean about how this has been a misinterpretation. 1 Corinthians 12, went wrong. I'm reading out of the ESV. I'm sure it would be similar in the NIV than NASB or the NKJV, whatever V we might have. This is what the ESV says, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. Can I tell you the Greek word for spiritual gifts is a Greek word, pneumatikos, pneuma, spirit, operation of, work of, pneumatikos. It has nothing to do with gifts. Paul is saying concerning spiritual things. He says concerning spirituals is really what the word pneumatikos means. The word gifts has been put in there by the translators because the chapter deals in their mind with what they've taught and what we believe is called spiritual gifts. But the word gift immediately creates in our mind something that is unhelpful to understand what I'm going to be teaching you today. This word now concerning spirituals. Brothers, listen, I do not want you to be uninformed. Concerning who you are, Corinthian church, you have things out of whack. 
You're, you're abusing certain things of the Spirit. You do not understand really who you are. You don't understand spirituality. You're not, you're not acting and thinking as spiritual people. And so he'll go on in this book and he'll rebuke them for being carnal in their thinking and in their actions. And, but he begins in, in chapter 12 by saying, but concerning spirituality, concerning the things that are, are spiritually true, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. And I'll say this to us today, I don't want us to be uninformed. Matt does not want us to be uninformed. Kevin does not want it. With the elders, we do not want us to be uninformed. We want us to grow up into Christ as mature men and women, a spiritual house for God. So immediately in our minds, already we have in our mind that Paul is going to be talking about gifts. And that gift implies there's been something that I've been given that I possess. Gifts, something given to me that I now have that I possess which we will see is an improper understanding of this very important truth. We have been given grace. Say that. We've been given grace. Grace empowered by the Holy Spirit. An empowered grace in my life and through my life that manifests through my life, through faith, as I exercise this grace to build the church of God and to speak life to the unbelieving that I might encounter in the world. I've been, we've been given grace. I'm a spiritual man. You are spiritual men and women who have the Spirit of God within us. We've been given grace, and that grace manifests through my life to impact the world and to impact the church, the community of the saints. This grace is to be manifest in the church and in the world as we relate to people in our everyday lives. And we need to demystify this. We need to take this out of the weird, mystical teaching and understanding that we've been taught and all of the ways that we might have seen it and even in our own lives abused these truths and say, Spirit of God, teach us. The day in which we're living, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need that which is genuinely you and nothing else. But Lord, we don't have within our own selves the capacity to do what needs to be done. Lord, the world is dying. People are hurting. Even in this room right now, people are hurting. With all sorts of issues of heart and body and mind. I don't have within me as a human being the capacity, Lord, to help them. Except very, very, very temporarily. Only you, O oh God, can heal. Only you, O oh God, can free. Only you, Lord, can save. Yes? Yes. yes, yes. I'm a spiritual man and I have grace within me. Teach me, Lord, what this means. The word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is the word charisma. And he says in verse 4, there are varieties of charisma, charismata, plural for gifts, but the same spirit. This word charisma, if you put up slide three for me, please. The word charisma used by Paul was not a common word 
This word was not common in pre-Christian literature. And it was not, it's not found very often in secular post-Christian literature. The word charisma is almost a word that you could say Paul coined. It's one of those words that Paul coins words in the New Testament, Greek words. Because he can't find quite the right word to say what he wants to say with the Greek language because of the theology, because of what he knew to be true. Of course, the word charis was a word that was known. It, it means grace, it means favor, and, and the gods had divine favor. That word would have been common in the Greek language, charis, which was the influence of, uh, on the heart of someone, of divine favor, and its reflection in their life. That's a word that was common. But the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12.4 is a different word. It's the word charisma. And when you put an M-A on the end of Greek in a word, it makes that word concrete. Something that was abstract becomes concrete. Or it would show the result of that at work. So he puts an M-A on the word of, on the end of charis, it becomes charisma, and he brings an abstract reality of grace, of some kind of influence, of some kind of favor, and he makes it something concrete with an effect that was evident, that could be seen or known. And then the word charismata, which is what actually the word there in verse 4 is, gifts is a plural word, and charismata is simply the plural of charisma. And he uses that word in chapter 12 and verse 4, verse 9, verse 28, verse 30, and verse 31. He uses the word charismata. And charismata is the plural of charisma, which is a word that Paul is using to describe the effect of grace on the human heart as it manifests. The effect of grace on the human heart as it manifests. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> Lord, manifest your grace in me and through me. Manifest yourself, O oh God. That which is true of who you are in me, manifest yourself. Brothers and sisters, that's a good prayer. I believe in grace. We all do. I can't, I've never seen it, really. I would be hard-pressed to even put words to what it exactly is. But when I say, Lord, manifest your grace in me and through me, it gives me an ability to start to comprehend it. It's almost as though Paul, in coining this word, he's saying that this, that this is the practical outworking of the grace of God. These are the expressions, if you would, of God's grace. And Paul coined this word. There is a Greek word for the word gift. That's not this word. We find that word in Romans 5.16 when Paul writes, and the free gift, it's dorema. That's the Greek word for gift in Romans 5.16. He says the free gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. So there is a word for gift in the Greek, but that's not this word. This is a different word. This is the word charismata or charisma. Dorema is a gift. I give you a gift because I love you on Valentine's Day. It's a gift, a dorema. That's not what Paul is using. Not that he didn't give us, he's not saying he gave us something 
in that sense. This is something that manifests. Are you with me? We said last week that the Holy Spirit is the empowering life of all creation, including the new creation of God. The Holy Spirit is the empowering and, listen, sustaining life of all creation, including the new creation, and he sustains the life of the new creation as well. It is Jesus who builds his church. In a day of marketing, in a day of promotion, in a day of technology, in a day of, of education, on all these churches that are planted and are, that are coming out and being built, and there's things that are being done to gather people and to, to make known that churches are meeting in certain places and hopefully people will come and be a part of it. The reality is, is that it is Christ who builds his church. Man does not build the church. Man can gather people very effectively. But what God is building, only God can build. And he does it by his spirit. And he does it through us. He does it through each of us. The church is to bear the witness and testify of the risen Christ before a dying world. This necessitates a supernatural power that we in ourselves do not possess. A power, listen, that is at times miraculous when it is needed. It is compassionate when it is needed. It results in great wisdom in certain situations. It has a word that only God can give to someone at a certain time that is needed at just the right time. It has the power to heal the sick. It can free people from captivity. That's the power that God has, that God works, and that God wants to work through the church. It's only the empowering spirit who can do these things through us. We do not have the ability within us. We are talking about supernatural power. I'm tired of human wisdom. I read a lot. I love reading. I study a lot. I read all kinds of things. I'm tired of human wisdom. Human wisdom is cyclical anyway. You just rediscover what's already been known and say it in a new way. God's wisdom is eternal. God's wisdom cannot be known except from God. A man cannot teach you the wisdom of God except with spiritual words breathed by God. Are you hearing me today? I'm taking, speaking to you as spiritual people and believing that God will speak to you by his spirit in your spirit. So we're asking ourselves what are spiritual gifts? What does the Bible, we know what they're not, they're not something that we've been given to possess, and I'll, exp I'll explain that more in a moment, but what are they? God will give them to us as they're needed in order to accomplish what he wants. There's this manifestation of grace. 
You see, that's why this word gift is so misleading because it undermines our ability to be used by God as he would. There's two areas in this chapter that Paul is correcting. The first that he immediately addresses in in verses 2 and 3 and 4 is the fact that they were, listen, they were heading towards paganism in how they were practicing what they had within their church of the Spirit of God's activity. They were returning to their idolatry, he says. He says, you're living as though you're pagans again. He says, you know that when you were pagans, verse 2, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. However, I, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he says, he says you're abusing that which God has given you to the extent that you're acting pagan-like. Can I say to you, a lot what happens in the church today is pagan-like. It really is when it comes to the abuse of the Holy Spirit. That's why there are people in this room who are right now afraid of the working of the Spirit because you've seen this abused. My own life, I let the pendulum swing away from abuse because I was so tired of it and God's had to reawaken in me the things I'm teaching you today. I think I told you this a few weeks ago, maybe months ago now, that for me one morning or one day I felt the Lord just say to me, I'm, I'm calling you to walk in things that you've walked in before but now in a greater way. And I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But he said, listen, he said, you've got abuse that is pagan-like. And so he addresses that. He, he corrects it right away. But the second thing he wants to teach them, beginning in verses 4 and 6 through 6, is how, how important this truth is of God's grace working through the individual believers. And he says in verse 4, he goes, listen, there are varieties of charismata, but it's the same spirit. And there's varieties of diokonia, or ministry, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of enragma, or energy, or activity, but it is the same God who, what, empowers them all in everyone. So there's varieties. This word variety is the key word in this text and in what I'm teaching you, because the word is, is a Greek word that has as, it, as its root two, two other words, and, it, and the two words were, would be through and to choose. It's a, it's a Greek word, diairesis, diairesis, and it means it, it, it's translated varieties or diversities or differing, but it has two root words in it, and the two root words mean through and to choose. In other words, God chooses through whom he wants to work. We are like conduits, is what Paul is saying. You are a conduit for God's grace, which is the opposite of receiving something and having it. You're hearing me? And then pulling it out, maybe, if I even know what it is, and using it sometimes when the music's just right. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but isn't that what we're like? No, the Lord says, no, you're a conduit. 
You're a conduit of grace. And he says, and there's, there's conduits that, that are of the charismata. There's conduits of ministries. There's conduits of power, of energy. But it's the triune God working all, in all, and through all. And so he says in verse 7, so to each is given, listen, to each is given. In fact, read it with me. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, when we read that word, each is given, we immediately tilt back and default back to gifts. But if you read it in a different way, which is what Paul is saying, no, God will use each of us in differing ways as he chooses at any time as a conduit of grace. Are you with me? And then he goes on in verse 11 and he says this, all of these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And again, we read that verse and we can default back to, we've received a gift, he's apportioned to each one of us something as he wills, and so that's what I have as a gift. No, he's saying he apportions it as needed through whomever is willing to be used as a conduit to manifest my grace right now. Each of us should expect to be used by God at any time as he would choose. Each of us should expect to be used by God at any time as he would choose. Each of us should expect to be used by God at any time as he would choose. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's ac actions that are ongoing. Sometimes it's power. Charismata, diakonia, energema. Conduits. Are you open to being used by God, by God's Spirit whenever He wants and wherever He wants in your life? Are you open? That's what the Spirit of God is saying today to us. My answer is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The second question, why are we not seeing more genuine expressions of this grace in the church today? This is a difficult question to answer. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm not telling you that this is a thus saith the Lord, but I, I believe it is the Spirit of God speaking in me. There are many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because of what we have come to see as the norm for the church today is believers thinking that they have been given a spiritual gift by God that they possess, if they even have a theology for them. So first of all, we have many churches, and I have many friends that I greatly respect that are leaders in the church who do not believe that the gifts of the charismata, I'm going to use that word rather than gifts because I don't want to put gifts in your mind, who do not believe the charismata are ongoing today. That they've stopped with the apostolic age ending that they were only given as a sign for the apostolic church. And when the, when the word of God and the canonization of scripture came in, they were no longer needed other than teaching and evangelism. 
but the sign gifts, the power gifts, or tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, those have ceased. So there are people in this room right now who may you may believe that because you've been taught that. That's fine. I'm going to challenge your thinking today, though. And secondly, if we do have a theology that we do believe that this could be ongoing, that God is doing this, we never see it, and so we're not sure what it's supposed to look like, or we have seen, as I said, abuse, and we know we don't want that. But a third reason is because we've been taught that we've been given something that we now possess, and they even have ways that help you identify them. You take a little test. And you want to discover your spiritual gift. And so they'll say, do you like to talk a lot? And you go, yeah, I like to talk a lot. Well, then you probably have the, the gift of, of, of utterance. Yeah, some kind of utterance. <laughs> Are you really handy with your hands? Yeah, I'm handy with my hands. Well, you have the gift of helps. Helps. So whenever we need help, we're going to call on your gift. And you go, please don't. You have a pickup truck? Yep, you have the gift of helps too. But I mean, it's ridiculous, but literally, this is what we do. I've been in churches where they've done this. Help you identify your gift. Oh, now I know what my gift is. Now what do I do with it? Well, we'll let you know. Man, I just hope I don't get prophecy. Please don't give me the prophecy. Do you have senses from God that you're not? No, no, I don't know. No, no. So we confuse also natural talents with, and natural abilities. When in fact, what I'm talking about today is supernatural. It's the manifestation of God's grace. Let me give you some practical examples from my life. This, this last week, I spent, I don't know how many hours studying. God uses my brain. I use my brain. I use my, I don't want to say God uses. I use my brain. R reading comprehension, critical thinking. I, I'm able to formulate in my mind clear understanding. I'm able to articulate it to the point I can put it on paper and organize my thoughts. And then I come here on a Sunday and I stand in front of you and I open my mouth and I speak to you what I have given my mind to. But here's the difference. I trust, I pray, I believe that when I open my mouth, the Spirit of God speaks. Not every single thing. But when the Spirit of God takes the words that I have formulated with my human brain and He impregnates them with grace. And that grace manifests through something that I say that pierces your heart. to where you know that it's God, that's supernatural. I stood in an arena in a township in South Africa and prayed for people that were in bondage, demonized to witchcraft for hours and hours and hours one day in 1986. We saw people set free from powerful demonic spirits as we laid our hands on them and spoke to them in the name of Jesus. 
that had nothing to do with human ability. Only God can do that. That was then. I have friends who say to me that are in this city that are pastors who do not believe what I'm teaching today. Well, if this is true, if gifts of healing are real, why don't you go into the hospital and empty the hospitals? That's such an immature for a godly man understanding of what these things are. Jesus didn't heal everyone. God's sovereignty is involved. God's providence is involved. God's will in God, what he's doing is involved. But if I lay my hands on someone and I pray, I believe that God will use my hands as an instrument for healing. Not every time, but enough to where it makes it worth doing. And if it's only once, it's worth it. Amen? There were a number of years ago that I was going up to Napa on a regular basis, actually to Rutherford, which is a little bit past Napa. Kath and I went up there. There was a group of Seventh-day Adventist doctors, highly educated men, and their wives and their families, a large number of them that were meeting, and they wanted to learn about the things of the Spirit. And they asked us to come up and teach, and I was going up there on a regular basis, teaching them about the Spirit of God and the working of the Spirit. And then after I teach, I began, I would prophesy. And God would give me such specific words for people that it was blowing their minds and blowing my mind. Literally, we would be in a room, I would be in a room with 150 people that I did not know one of them. And I was walking around and God was giving me words for these people. And afterward, they would tell me what I had said and how it had impacted their life. It happens in Mexico when I'm in Mexico. God uses me that way. He doesn't do it here as much. But I know that when I'm needed, are you hearing me? I'm a conduit for the grace of God. Healing. Teaching, prophetic, tongues, words of wisdom, yes. Words of knowledge that are supernatural, insights. Compassion that goes beyond what I feel in myself. Faith, at times, that is supernatural faith to believe God. I can tell you instance after instance in my life of when I've had faith that was not my normal faith level because it was needed at that moment. And so because we have this bad theology, we have a wrong expectation, so many believers either do not believe that God, listen, do not believe that God can use them or they have no faith at all that he will. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing that I know as a gift from God beyond just who I am and I have no expectation of anything more than that. That is why we don't see anything. But if we begin to develop this understanding that we have this grace that wants to manifest through our lives. Standing in a line in a a store, I'm always asking God, do you want me to speak to this person? Do you want me to pray for this person? Do you want me... What do, you, do you want me to do something, to say something? I'm looking at people. 
Do you want me to engage them? Give me something, Lord, that will pierce their heart with life, with your love. Are you with me? Why? Because I'm a conduit of the grace of God. I'm not a teacher only. I'm not a pastor only. I'm a man filled with the life of God. I'm a conduit for grace. I'm a dangerous man to the devil. Yeah, they hate it when I wake up in the morning. Oh, no, he's awake. That's right. We're all a threat to the enemy. But I also think there's a failure to discern the body of Christ for what it is. To recognize and understand the place the church plays in God's redemptive purposes today. And as I said earlier in the meeting, as our future, as being the bride of Christ. If we truly could see the church as Revelation 12 describes her. As Paul describes her in Ephesians 6. As the bride of Christ, beloved of God. If we could see the church, it would change how we, we would discern the body rightly, Paul says. We need to discern the body rightly. And that's again just grace. It's grace at work in us. So what can we do to grow in this area? Lastly. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five areas that we can grow in. First is we need to grow in our understanding of God's purposes on the earth overall and the church's place in them. Grow in our understanding of God's purposes on the earth and the church's place in them. Grow to love the church as it is seen by God, as I just said a moment ago. I want to read three texts for you as we close. First is this relating to this, Ephesians 3. Turn there with me, Ephesians 3, 7 through 12. I want to give some time here at the end because we want to pray. So I'm going to do this quickly. Ephesians 3, 7 through 12. This relates to understanding God's purposes on the earth and the church's place in them. Please hear this. Ephesians 3, listen to his language. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift. Guess which word it is? It's charisma. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 12. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, his confidence was not in himself. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, <coughs> excuse me, through the church, I love this, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers this is, the, this is Revelation 12, the dragon to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was, in accord, was according to the eternal purpose that he realized it is finished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access. See, we need to know and understand God's purposes. And when we understand God's purposes for the church and what he's doing on the earth, we go, Lord, we need your power. God, we need your spirit. Lord, we are unable.
do this, which we are called to do, O oh God, in our own strength. Like, I'm just a human being. I'm a one man. And I'm a very, very, very weak man. I'm a very limited man, O oh God. Lord, use me. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Manifest your grace in my life, O oh God. Manifest your grace through my life, Lord. For the sake of the church on the earth and for the sake of the lost, O oh God, in this day. Use me up, O oh God. Do you ever pray that prayer? Use me up. Lord, let my life be wasted on your purposes. I'm tired of shallow, trite, immature Christianity. God, we want all that you are. Amen. That's the kind of prayer we need. That's what comes out of this kind of understanding. Secondly, I need to grow in my understanding of these truths regarding the charismata. How does God move in and through his church? It's through grace being manifest through conduits, through people who become simply vessels of grace. It isn't a gift that you own and that you have that you've taken the little test and now you can identify and you know just say, oh yeah, I have the gift of whatever's. It's just being a human being, being filled with God and being able to be used by God. We need to grow in faith. We need to be willing to be used by God in any and every circumstance, both in the church and outside its walls. Grow in faith. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and the disciples were gathered around the fire and the little boy who was, who was demonized kept throwing himself into the fire and the father was beside himself and he'd come and ask the disciples who they, he had known they were able to heal other people and he comes to them and they go, can you heal my son? And they couldn't heal the son. Jesus comes down from the mountain with Peter, James, and, Paul, uh, Peter, James, and John and he gets, he gets upset. He goes, what is wrong with you guys? He goes, you are such, so little in faith. He rebukes them for their smallness of faith. Brothers and sisters, be enlarged in your faith. Say, Lord, enlarge me. Enlarge me so that I can believe you for more, so I can take risks. I can step out and take risks. Lord, even if I look the fool, I'm willing to be foolish, for they love not their own lives, even unto death. Lord, use me. So what if I look foolish? So what if I give a word that sounds goofy? Who knows how God might use it? Step out. Step out. Step out. Open your mouth and speak. Lay your hands on and believe. Pray and ask God to give you what is needed. Instead of walking past. Grow an understanding of God's purposes. Grow an understanding of how God does what he does in his, by his spirit in the church. Grow in faith and grow in obedience. Step out, take risks of faith to speak. Be obedient. It's not just to have the faith, it's then to act upon it. Let me read 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3. Turn there quickly, and this is the last text. 1 Corinthians 14. Listen to what he says, 1 through 3, and then we'll jump down to verse 24. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire charismata. Earnestly desire to be conduits of grace especially 
that you may prophesy. Why? Because prophecy has the greatest effect. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men, but to God. Excuse me, speaks not to men, but to God. See, tongues is God-directed. Praise. And interpreted, it's God-directed. It's praise. It's beautiful. It's edifying to hear just supernatural praise that comes out of the heart of a man by the Spirit of God or the heart of a woman speaking to God the beauty of God, the glories of God, and it's interpreted and it speaks of God's glory, but it's directed to God. But he says prophecy, though, is spoken to men. Tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to men, to people, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And now go down to verse 24. And if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, even the unbelieving are touched by prophecy in the church. When it's something of the Spirit that's building up the church, it's consolation, it's encouragement, it's, it's strengthening the church, it's a word that strengthens, tells the church what's true, encourages the church, brings them back to grace, to the truth of God in Christ, to the gospel's power. Somebody sitting here who is not a Christian sits here and he hears this. Paul says it, 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 it convicts them that God's in our midst. Or if you're in the market and you say to someone, hey, can I tell you something? I feel like, I feel like God is telling me something for you. Would it be okay if I told you this? Well, yeah, sure, go ahead. Well, I believe God is showing me da-da-da-da-da-da-da and that he feels this way, da-da-da-da-da, toward you. Man, a conduit, a conduit of grace. And lastly, simply, brothers and sisters, may we steward well the grace of God that's been given to us. May we be faithful stewards And the way that I steward well is by being willing to be a conduit. Is by being a conduit. Is by being someone that God can use in any and every circumstance. Can I say it one last time? God wants to use you in any way he chooses at any time. Are you willing? Are you willing to be used by God at any time in any way that he chooses? If you are, that's what Paul is teaching here. Don't be duped into believing that you might have something that is a spiritual something or other that maybe you can use sometime, somewhere, somehow, someday, but probably never, if we're really honest. God never uses me. I never hear from God. How many of you say that? I've never seen God do anything through me. How many of you said that? Well, you know what? It's because you're believing wrongly, and you're thinking wrongly, and you're not understanding rightly who you really are. May God give us grace to believe these things. I speak to you as spiritual men and women. For the glory of God, amen.